Welcome to Eat, Capture, Share, the podcast for food bloggers, food lovers, and everyone in between. My name is Kimberly. I'm your host. Episode 27. Welcome back, everyone, to another bonus episode. This is going to be the very, very last bonus episode before we kickstart again in the autumn. I'm going to be back in October. I'll tell you more about that at the very end of this episode. But yeah, this is a super beautiful, a lovely bonus episode. I found the conversation that I had with Aran Goyoaga incredibly intellectually stimulating and creatively nourishing. And I think those are really the best ways to describe today's podcast interview. So although Adan definitely shares lots of practical tips, this episode is more about being inspired and really looking through the lens, as it were, of another creative and discovering how they see the world. I loved this episode because in so many ways, the way that Aran sees the world and the way that she or her aesthetic is very, very similar to mine. In fact, she is my number one inspiration. Like in everything I do, her work just, I don't know, it's its the work that moves me the most than more than anyone else's. Yet, of course, my work is completely different to Aran's and I love, I love that. I love how two people can approach things very similarly, yet the end result is so different. And I think that's also what I love about this episode. It's the exploration of why cooking and food is art, why photography is art, why styling is art, why it is an expression of how we feel and what makes it so relatable and so powerful. So I'm not going to be chatting too much because I really, really want you to delve right into the episode. I do want to make you aware of a couple of things. So the very first thing is that I'll be back at the end of the episode just to remind you of bits and pieces, including the fact that all the people that we mention, all the resources that we mention in the podcast episode, as always, will be available for you to find easy links through the show notes. And you can find the show notes wherever you're listening to this podcast episode. So you can find it on the blog as well as on iTunes and Spotify. So you'll have direct clickable links there. The other thing I'd like to let you know is that I have prepared a special PDF just for you. If you're thinking about writing a cookbook and would like tips and guidance and advice, a structure, and Aran actually talks about that in this episode. If you'd like that, I have it free for you to download. Again, you can find the link to that in the show notes. And if you're already a member of my creative community, if you're already on the mailing list, then please do not worry. The PDF is stored safely waiting for you in our creative community on Facebook. The other thing I'd like to let you know, and again, I'll remind you of it towards the end of the episode, but this is super important. My Instagram food photography challenge is now open for registration and the registration period is super small. So make use of it. Join us. It's by far the most fun thing I do and that really brings us together and allows us to explore the beautiful art of food photography and food styling. So I'd love, love, love to have you on board this season. So if you'd like to join me and hundreds and hundreds of creatives from around the world, then head to the show notes, sign up to the mailing list and join us. Right, I'm not going to be rambling any further as I promised. I'm going to hand you over to Aran Goyoaga for this beautiful interview. Great. Um, Aran, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the Eat Capture Share podcast. I am so honored that you said yes, because I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, but there will be people tuning in who may not know you or may not have come across your work. And so if you can start perhaps by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, well, thank you for having me, first of all. 
Um, so my name is Erin Goyuaga. Um, I live in Seattle and I'm a food stylist, photographer, and cookbook author. Um, I'm originally from the Basque Country in Spain. So I feel like a lot of my work is influenced by, by my upbringing. I was also a pastry chef in something that feels like a long time ago. And I cook gluten-free recipes and not necessarily health focus, but I am very informed by a lot of health issues that I've had and um, how my body feels when I eat. So I think kind of the intuition around food and photography um, is very much what drives me. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I understand like you got in, I know that your parents, I think, or your grandparents had a pastry shop, I think, in the past country, if I read that correctly, so that, you know, you grew up around food, it sounds like, but how did you make the transition from being a pastry chef and, and cooking to then capturing that with your camera? Um, yes. Yeah, so my grandparents on my maternal side had a pastry shop, um, that was right across the street from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. So where we lived and, uh, my mom worked front of the house. So I spent all of my time there after school, before school on the weekends. Um, I never actually worked there. I, I mean, I spent all my childhood there, but it wasn't something that even though I loved it, it wasn't something that felt like an option as a career for me mm-hmm. somehow. It wasn't spoken about. It was just something I felt. There was maybe I felt pressure for higher aspirations because Mm -hmm. back then cooking or baking wasn't really a career aspiration for many people. I mean, my grandfather and my grandmother, they loved what they did and it brought a lot of joy to our family. But it was, but people just wanted you to be, you know, a doctor, lawyer, typical things that uh, we hear now and which I feel like. As, parent, as a parent now, I would never have that aspiration for my children unless they wanted that. But back then, it was a sense for that. So the, just a little bit of context. So I actually went to school for business and economics. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I did my time. I was very diligent, a very good student. Um, and then when I finally uh, graduated and started working in corporate, I, by that time, I had moved to the U.S., and I was working in a few big corporations in Denver where I was living at the time and realized that, yeah, this doesn't fulfill me. And all along while I was working, I would bake at home all the time mm-hmm. because I had left my family. I had left the past country. And so baking kind of became the thing I did to feel connected to my roots. Mm-hmm. And so then when I, um, I think it was when we moved from Denver to Florida because of my husband's job. Um, it's when I said, I'm going to really pursue cooking and baking as a profession. So I went to culinary school and then I ended up working in, as a pastry chef. Long story short, <laughs> then I, I had a baby and I, the professional kitchen life was yes. incom- sort of incompatible uh, at that time, or I felt like it was, unless I would you know, be brave enough to start my own business. So I wasn't ready for that. And so I stayed home. Um, I took care of my son for about a year. And then some, it was early blogging time. And that's when I started a blog with no intention other than start writing recipes and documenting what I was doing at home and share it with my family back, mm-hmm. back in the Basque Country. And that is what actually led me to photography because obviously the power, the visual power uh, of a story is equally important as the words. So mm-hmm. um, kind of blending those two was what was making blogs interesting for me, at least the blogs that I was interested in or, or the cookbooks that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, I had start, I, then I started exploring uh, photography because of I was cooking and I was writing and documenting. So that was the path. Gotcha. Gotcha. But it sounds like you then also fell in love with food photography. I did. I actually, not specifically food photography, but I really fell in love with photography mm-hmm. as a means of storytelling and communicating emotions. Yes. Um, I feel 
And it's still, to me, what drives everything that I do. It's really the source of inspiration for me, photography and art in general, but um, visual art. Yeah, just really just exploring light and uh, shadows and Mm -hmm. composition that became, I was kind of obsessed with it. And I spent my time studying that a little bit on my own. And um, you said something actually really interesting. You said that you really aim to tell a story and evoke emotion through your photography. And I wonder how you approach that, how you achieve that. Because I, I, I'm very moved by your photos. And yes, I'd love to know how you, how you convey an emotion or how you tell a story through your photography. It's funny because I don't think there's a, formula for it. I really think it's, um, I see something that causes an, a reaction in me, usually an emotional reaction. And then I document it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, yeah, I, it's hard for me to explain it. It, it has to be something that moves me first. Gotcha. And it's something that I see. Um, and then maybe later on, I try to replicate in my studio or at home when I'm actually going to photograph it. But I always make mental notes of things that inspire me, mm-hmm. whether it's in nature, other photography, something like something that I kind of see that moves me. And then I, I make mental notes of things, but there, I don't really have a, a formula for it. And it's very hard for me to explain it um, because it's really how I see, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I totally (laughs) get it. For me, light is very emotional for some reason. I don't know. And I, my father uh, is a painter and a fine fine art painter. And he paints a lot of portraits and landscapes. And uh, he has always, he's always stopped. Like we'd be walking somewhere and he would stop me and say, do you see that light? Or do you see those shadows? He always paid attention to it and he always communicated talked to me about it so I think I don't know how that all came out later on when I started you know started using photography as a medium to communicate myself or or share myself yeah but I wish I had I wish I had a better explanation because (laughs) no it is just it's a it sounds like it's quite intuitive for you in lots of ways and um it's a gift, I guess, because I, I really always feel very moved by your photos. You know that because I've, I've always uh, been, I always stalk your Instagram. And so, um, yes, I, I, yeah, I don't know. There's something about it that's very different, I think, to everything else that's, that's on Instagram. I, and even sometimes because you don't just do food, you mix it, which is quite interesting now that you're mentioning that your father was a, a fine art a painter because you do a lot of portraits as well actually and nature shots there's a real blend and lifestyle with the food as well that goes along with it why have you made that decision not just to share food but to share more of your life or more impressions that you see i think i think ultimately for me i've always been fascinated by film mm-hmm not film as a, as a film photography medium, but films as in movies and cinema. And I have, I think I have a very cinematic vision mm-hmm. and I like to, I think a lot about editing and how I can put images together to create movement mm-hmm. that it's not, you know, these are still photos, but how in your body of work can be, stillness and movement together and I think mixing up aspects of a of a world right so I'm I'm kind of creating a little world and a real a little kind of moody world maybe mm-hmm. uh where I it is kind of a pretend world I mean it's not 24 7 my life and that's not what my life looks like all the time but it is sort of like a story of like emotional story of how I the things that move me and things that cause reaction, flowers or mm-hmm. nature. I don't just shoot portraits of anybody. It has to be people in my life. And mm-hmm. I love, I do love portraits and expressions and eyes and like how, 
you know, people convey their emotions through their eyes. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think even in my books, you know, or my Instagram, I I feel like I'm creating a bit of a world Mm -hmm. for people to kind of come in and experience for a bit and feel maybe what I'm feeling, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily, um, it's not the absolute truth of my life, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally, totally. Sort of like how I, the things that move me, but of course in my life there are other things that don't always move me or struggles or or obstacles or... um, Which is a beautiful gateway actually into my next question. And that is how did you first get started to sharing your work specifically on Instagram? Why did you make the decision to start? And what does Instagram mean to you and your work? Um, well, it's, the way I started Instagram was very um, spontaneous. Mm-hmm. You know, it was soon after Twitter. I can't even remember what year it was, but I was one of the first adapters, I guess. Mm-hmm. And because photography had always been, until that point, had been very important to me, I thought, well, this is a perfect platform because I can share photos, recipes, it became kind of like a mini blog mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, not as expansive, but I also saw engagement in blogs maybe declining or, and I'm not a very analytical person and I don't look at my data and make decisions, strategic decisions on it, but I just kind of had a feeling that things were speeding up and it just made sense that Instagram became the next thing mm-hmm. because it kind of checked all the boxes of why blogging was successful is you get to share photos. Um, you get to tell a little bit of a story and you can post, you know, daily. It's, it seems you do it with your phone. It's very easy. Uh, you have your phone with you and you know, it's exciting because it was very instant, which was how it all started. Right. It was like an instant moment in your life or, um, all these things. So I, I think it just fit exactly of how I was working until that point anyway. And then because I had been one of the early adapters back then, and I'm not sure how it works anymore, but when people would sign up, uh, they would give you a list of people to follow. And I think at some point I must've been one of the featured accounts. And so I think that's, it quickly became sped up into, you know, amassing a following, I would say. Yes. Although now it's totally <laughs> stagnant and I probably lose more followers than I gain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become a different platform and yeah. obviously the way users interact is very different. Um, you know, I'm kind of annoyed a little bit in some ways that when I realized, I totally understand this, uh, the people who founded Instagram and the people who are there's people working there for Facebook and everybody needs to make a living. And I totally understand their need for advertising and it just doesn't have the same excitement for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to have to think about, I don't want to have to feel like I am tied to this thing, even though it's hard work or, or we all feel like, Oh, you know, Mm -hmm. there's just more to it than, than it used to be. Yes. And I wish they would bring back a little bit of the excitement of the past, maybe through, I don't know, we could, I, maybe there's like business accounts that are paid for. There's like a monthly, I don't know. I'm just thinking, <laughs> I'm just kind of blurting things out. But um, it lost for me what it was at one point, which was very exciting. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like they're messing with me, even though that's probably not their intention. And, and that, I don't like that feeling. Um, Do you, does follower numbers, likes, comments, does that influence your decision as to what you post? Or is it more about how you feel that moment, something you want to communicate? Because I'm sure there are certain photos of yours, like there are certain photos of mine that I know are going to perform well, you know, in air quotes, perform. I know there are certain things that my audience specifically likes, but I don't always want to shoot that. And so do you feel that pressure as well? How do you manage that? Or yeah, how do you manage that? Uh, I've kind of gone through phases. So I mean, this is what my eighth year on Instagram, I think. So initially there was no, I wouldn't say mindfulness, but there was. I didn't think about it. 
Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love yeah. the intuition, the spontaneity of like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to post this even, you know, sometimes I look back at, I haven't in a long time, but if I looked at old photos, I'd be cringing. Um, also remember all the old filters and things like it, it was, it was a different platform back then. But um, then I think it did become a race against myself at some mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. of realizing, oh, now I'm aware of this. Like there was an awareness of what this meant. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is actually a platform of my work and people are, have eyes on me, which I didn't feel in the beginning. And I can use this as a tool to promote my work um, and all these things. And I think that added some pressure. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't do, I don't do very well under pressure. And so I was probably making choices, like you said, sometimes I probably was putting things that people would respond to, trying to maintain a little bit of, of that growth. And, you know, I always also know what people are going to respond to. Yeah. Um, it, well, I don't know anymore, but uh, at that time, sort of in the middle life of Insta- my life on Instagram, I, I kind of had a good feeling. And then all these changes through advertising and trying to get people to be online longer and algorithms and all these things. And I kind of felt deflated and uh, defeated and deflated. And I'm also a person I can only do, I can, I can only feel good about my work when it's something that truly represents how I feel and how I think and the values that I represent. Um, and I'm not trying to be too serious about this, but I, it is something that I, I will apply to all aspects of my work. And so then I just, I just didn't post as much or I don't think about it as much. And I do post the things that I, that I enjoy, even though it means posting less probably, mm-hmm. and therefore probably having less engagement and all these things that are necessary to maintain a certain following but um I don't know I I realize that you can't be everything to everybody yeah and eventually people will find you but I do I am feeling like I just want to own my own content in the sense I don't want to be surrendering to somebody else's needs or how they need to make money um which is totally valid but um I have been exploring what that would be Mm -hmm. you know yeah and so I don't know yet um, but I'm a little bit sort of detached from Instagram and where I still like it. And I think it's a, still a very powerful tool, but I'm kind of trying to think what, how I can build a platform that represents everything I want to do on my own terms. That sounds very exciting. So we've got better watch this space then. <laughs> um, how would you describe your style? Is there is it minimalism? Is it light and shadow play? If you had to put it in a box, how would you describe it? I think very naturalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very drawn to everything that looks natural, meaning I don't like anything that seems uh, overly styled or, you know, that it was, um, if I can see something that was intended to be styled and I can tell that it was intended to be styled, then it doesn't draw me in. I don't know if that makes any sense. Totally. And it's very difficult. Uh, and there's amazing stylists that, you know, you would never know that you, you would think that that moment was just captured and just happened and it was captured in photographers. But um, that is kind of how I hope my work is viewed. Just very naturalistic. Yeah, I love that word. And and always something a little bit off. You know, not everything has to something has to be a little off to, to make sense to me. Yes, yeah. Um actually I talked about that in one of the other episodes, the wabi-sabi sort of principle where that you know the the perfection lies in the imperfection. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I, oh, the other thing actually I wanted to ask you, you mentioned it before that for Instagram, you use your mobile phone predominantly, although obviously you've got a DSLR, you shoot with your DSLR. Why did you make that decision? Like, what is it about phone photography that you're really drawn to? Um, 
I don't know, but I, when I've had to, let's say I've had to shoot something with my camera with a bigger sensor and some more shallow depth of field and things that maybe on print larger, they wouldn't work for me. Mm-hmm. When I try to put it in that little square box, or now I use uh, borders around it, but so it's, you know, a different ratio, not a square, but it just doesn't work. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, like now, if I were to take a, an image with my phone or with my DSLR and then upload them through Instagram and see them side by side, I'd probably like my phone photo better. Um, and I, I don't know if it's a consistency throughout the feed or how I've gotten used to it. But I, if I'm, even when I'm traveling, I'll always take, or if I remember, if, if I have time, I'll always take a photo with my phone and one with my DSLR. Mm-hmm. And one will be for Instagram. Gotcha. And then the others for the blog or for your portfolio. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Or to be printed or yeah. Do you have a top tip to share to make iPhone photography work and look spectacular? Is there one thing that you could share with our listeners who cannot invest in a DSLR and have to use their iPhone or mobile phone to really make their their iPhone photos look as good as a a DSLR photo? Honestly, the same principles of photography apply for one tool or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, So pay attention to light, uh, pay attention to composition. This, I mean, honestly, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure, you know, make sure you take time with your phone to, to frame mm-hmm. how you really want it, expose it how you really want it. Um, I just really, I don't think there is any difference, honestly. Yeah, no, your yeah. photos look amazing. So, Oh, thank you. For sure. And I'm, I, I love it. Also, I want people to go and check out your Instagram. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. But a lot of times people say, oh, you know, my photos aren't great because I don't have a DSLR. I can only shoot on my phone. But, you know, your your um, Instagram account is a great example that that's not necessarily the case. And you can create gorgeous images with iPhone as well. And oftentimes when I teach workshops and maybe if I have students who are um, have a background in cooking, but not necessarily in photography, but they just want to learn a little bit more about how I work. And they say, well, I don't have a camera. Should I buy one? And I say, just bring whatever you have. And even mm-hmm. if it's your phone, um, bring that because it really is about getting started to think about these things. Mm-hmm. And then as you're learning, you will naturally upgrade your tools and and your gear as you need to and as your budget allows of course but Mm -hmm. um i don't think it's really about your camera of course there's a minimum if i take a photo with a a crappy lens or a good lens there will be a difference but with a decent phone and a decent dslr mirrorless you can still get amazing images and it's so much about how you compose and how you think about light Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you for sharing that. Now, um, you mentioned that you've been on Instagram for eight years and generally you've been in the food and food photography work uh, world for so long. How have you seen styles change and where do you see, I hate to use the word, but um, trends or where do you see the landscape, the food photography landscape moving towards? Sorry to be interrupting your podcast experience, but I wanted to tell you about my six-week online food photography and food styling course. If you'd like to delve deeper into light and shadow work, if you want to perfect your composition and your visual storytelling or learn a little bit more about editing, then my course is for you. You can take it from anywhere around the world and I take a limited number of students only so I can really work with you and help you find your style. If you want to find out more, please email me at Kimberly at thelittleplantation.co.uk or head to the show notes where there'll be a link to the whole entire course, the syllabus, and so much more. I'd love to hear from you. Right now, back to the podcast. I mean, it started, I remember when I started, which was 2008, it was really the time of Donna Hay, Mm -hmm. I would say. It was like the Donna Hay white, everything white look. And in the U.S., I guess we had Martha Stewart, which was yeah. really um, 
really beautiful and very classic. Um, and then I think we went through a phase where kind of the Dutch light came in. Mm -hmm. So more like if you think about film photography or what Kim Folk magazine represented um, in its origin, because it was really, it was focused a lot on food and gatherings in the beginning of the magazine. And that I think brought back, it went from something like really bright to something that was a little bit more toned, um, a little bit more introspective, I would say moodier. And there was that period of really dark images. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went into the full on on camera flash, super hard light, kind of garish colors. And when I say garish, I don't mean that respectively. I mean, you know, really in your face, mm-hmm. uh, bold, which I think it's still very current. Yes. Um, which is beautiful, but it's not, it's not how I see. Mm-hmm. It's not how I, I, what I'm drawn to, what causes an emotion in me. So I can't replicate that. So I guess in some ways, I, I wouldn't be a very good photographer to hire because I can't just take on different, oh, well, I want to shoot this or that and different aesthetics or mm-hmm. styles. I kind of have my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have no idea where the trend is going. Is there anything just that always you're excited about? Anything that you're excited about exploring or anything new that you feel your style is evolving into? Um, well, I feel like... And the last, I moved to Seattle six years ago and definitely the light here has, yeah, I mean, that has really influenced me. And, and I just finished working on a, my next cookbook, and which will be out in the fall. And I think that cookbook really represents a lot of my work as I, I see it now from a photography perspective as well with gray, a lot more toned down. Um, which is, which really is how I, it's a little bit moody without being full on moody. I don't know how to explain it. Also very naturalistic. Yeah. Um, It's so interesting because a lot of times when we, you know, when we talk about moody in the food photography or food blogging world, we think about very dark and dark backdrops and, but you generally shoot on marble or are more drawn to lighter fabrics as a backdrop, lighter stone and things as a backdrop. So it's so interesting to think about your photography as moody, but now that you say it, it kind of is, I would agree, but I've never looked at it that way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because of always when I hear moody, I think about really dark, but um, yeah, I'm very excited about your, mm-hmm. your new book. Actually, there's two more things I'd like to ask that are tied in with what you said. So the first one is you talk about how the light in Seattle really influences your work. Are there any other photographers, magazines, any other places where you draw inspiration from? That was my first question. My second question is how is this book different photography-wise, recipe-wise to your first book? Oh, well, I'll answer the, the second question first. Go for it. Um, <laughs> it's very different in the sense of I photographed my first book in Florida. Okay. And that was in 2010. So I have really yes. learned a lot about photography in that time. So it, it's definitely a lot more toned down in, in recipes and in method and photography, um, a lot more melancholic, mm-hmm. I would say minimalistic so I really tried hard to take anything away that wasn't necessary which in my first book I think I with photography and with recipes I think I was trying to prove myself or or in my head I had this voice that would say well if you're going to do a book then you gotta add that you know all mm-hmm. of the things show people all the flowers they can use go all go all out, all out and this time around it was really more about how much can I take away to make it very simple, but still effective. And, and I, that was my approach for both photography and writing and recipe developing. So, um, yeah, so that's the difference. And as far as inspiration, um, it's so hard because there are so many people I admire 
um, I look a lot to photographers outside of food. Um, yeah. And Todd Hito is an American photographer that I love. And his series of nighttime shots of homes, and I think it's in Ohio, in the Midwest, in the snow, and just, you know, they're really moody. His portraits um, are really just haunting, I think. Mm -hmm. And maybe because also I was a teenager in the 90s, but Corinne Day and that kind of era of the British, um, like Face Magazine and ID and all of those magazines, that kind of simplicity mm -hmm. um, and those photos really inspire me. Um, but I also love fun like La Tirgue and all the French photographers of that era, uh, the use of color. And, um, you know, I even like Larry Clark, which is kind of disturbing and a little bit um, hard to watch. And uh, yeah, non Golding. There are so many photographers that do a little bit twisted work that I, I really like. And sometimes I can't look at the photos because they're a little bit, they, they're really emotional, but um, I never actually really knew a lot about commercial food photography until I started blogging. And then, and then I, I started looking at, you know, what magazines were doing. So I think um, I came from a background of admiring a lot of maybe underground, like subculture stuff, because, you know, that's what I was drawn to in my youth. Um, and then when I started blogging, I, oh, I would pick up a magazine and then I would look at, look up, oh, who shot this? And then, and from that, I started to know more of current commercial food photographers and, um, gentlemen hires. Um, they're amazing. And it's funny. I have a funny story about that. Um, they've photographed so many, they've been working for so long and their portraits, their food is always, you know, looks amazing, but. I love how they photograph people mm -hmm. and I've been lucky enough to watch them work and it's amazing. And there's just something about how they catch a moment that, you know, that tells me it's not about gear. It's not about, you know, how, what kind of lighting, you know, the lights you use or whatever the camera, it's so much about being in tune with your subject. Mm -hmm. um, but when I first moved to the U S I wasn't working for a while. I was waiting for my visa and I would spend hours with the book Baking with Julia. I don't know if, if many people know, but um, it, it was in the Julia show. Child. It was Julia Child and she had other cooks and bakers. Well, it was bakers because it was Baking with Julia that would um, bake with her in the show and then they made a book out of it. And I would sit with that book hours and hours and I would look at it and I read the recipes and I look at the photos. And this is from late. The book is from the mid nineties, late nineties. So food photography back then was pretty, uh, I think unexplored if, if you will. And I never even occurred to me to look who photographed that book until a few years later. I, I think after I met Marty and Andrea of Gentle and Hires that I realized they had photographed it. So I spent hours and hours looking through this book that they were part of and that they worked on and here they were and I got mm -hmm. to meet them and I, and I don't know, there was like a moment of connection yes. that I felt through that book and them. And um, so they're a big, even though there's, their style is very different than what I do, but they're a huge inspiration mm -hmm. as people, as photographers, but how they treat, their work and um, how much they work. And um, so they're a big one. And they've taught the, me so much. The last cookbook that I bought, Where Cooking Begins, they shot that actually. Um, oh, yes. It's, it's gorgeous. I, I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, I'll pop all of those uh, links and suggestions in the show notes for sure, because that work's incredible. So thank you for sharing that. And I love how you, that story is kind of about the universe bringing you together and connecting. So that's incredible. I have one final question before I ask my closing question. And um, for people who are tuning in, most of them are food bloggers, food photographers, sort of earlier on in their career. And many of them dream of writing a cookbook 
of their own. And I don't know if you have any suggestions, any advice that you can share with them that might help them on their journey. Um, as far as photographing or writing? Just either. Okay. Um, I think, I mean, uh, writing a cookbook proposal is, it can take a long time. Mm-hmm. But once you have it, and once you feel like that is exactly what you want to tell, the story that you mm-hmm. want to tell, and I don't mean story as uh, memoir or narrative, but what is the focus? What are you, how are you different from every other cookbook that is out there. So really working on your proposal and your table of contents is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually teaching a workshop this weekend in my studio okay. about, about this, but so I've been thinking a lot about it and I've asking, I've been asking my students to send me the work that they have done. So I have been taking notes and, you know, giving them, trying to give them uh, uh, comp titles and like how they can, you know, it's just my personal ideas, but I think table of contents and proposal are, are so important. And then once you have that, that will be kind of like your business plan for the rest of the two years or three years that it will take you to actually work on a book. Mm-hmm. So um, try not to rush through that process and really think I've, I think for my last book, I wrote probably five or six different versions of, of, proposal mm-hmm. and then you know I would talk to different publishers and they I would take on like their ideas and then I would kind of modify it but it never quite resonated and and I think it's very intuitive like you feel like this is truly like something that you can work on and yeah. once you have it but sometimes people ask me do I need an agent not an agent and um I think it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are approached by a publisher and maybe you have had a relationship with them that you kind of trust an editor, um, you could go without an agent and maybe hire an attorney to help you with a contract because the literary contracts are really complicated. And if you've never seen one and if you have never published a book, it's hard to anticipate what you will need. So I think either having an attorney or an agent is very helpful. I, I have a literary agent, Judy Linden, who's amazing. And she, she's the first, she will criticize my ideas quickly, uh, in a very constructive, loving way, but she's been, she's really helped me a lot in, um, trying to see when, you know, my ideas are not maybe worked enough for, uh, or bring me attention to other books that are being published because oftentimes if you are going to be entering the publishing world, you also have to think about not only what's out there, but you know, what the publishers have for the next two years that's going to come out. So you have to kind of be understand what is going on in the Mm -hmm. market, but also you have to do what feels right to you. Otherwise there's no point of working on something if it's not what you want to spend your time on. So first that like really get your idea, down and um for me like we have an amazing cookbook store in seattle cook called book larder so i i can go to book larder and i can look through the shelves of you know mediterranean cooking or whatever it is and see okay what's out there what how can my vision fit into this world or add my own spin um so that's part one Mm -hmm. and then part two is really being organized I worked very differently uh, with my first book and my second book. And my first book, I just kind of developed recipes as I went to the market and then I would photograph them as I was writing them. And it was very fluid and I worked on it very much like I would work on a blog, um, you know, every day a little bit. And, um, and the second book, I actually was very methodical because I had experienced, you know, how I worked the first time. So I did the opposite. I, uh, I divided the time into recipe testing, then recipe writing, then story writing, and finally photographing, and then editing. So it was very different, and um, but it was very organized. And I did it almost all by myself. I had my friend Jen Utley um, help me write the introduction to the book, which was kind of a, a condensed version of my story mm-hmm. with some emotional components, but everything else. I wrote and photographed uh, and developed myself. So I had to be very organized. 
So I don't know if that answers. I don't know if that's totally. helpful. But, <laughs> super um, helpful, super helpful. Thank but I think so really having your proposal and your table of contents honed down is going to be super important. And then you can go sell it. Thank you so much. It's super helpful. And yeah, it's super helpful. Thank you. I'm sure lots of people will take lots away from that. I don't want to keep you too long because I know you have children and lots of other things I'm sure to get onto. So I'd like to end as I always do with my three questions, uh, namely, I'd love for you to tell us what your favorite thing is to eat. What's your most favorite thing to capture and what's your most favorite thing to share? Mm, to eat. It really depends, but I, I'm a salty foods person so mm-hmm. I, I I love bread too. <laughs> I love bread and I love um, popcorn I mean I'm talking indulgent yeah go for um, it I'm going indulgent so like popcorn <laughs> fries and bread they're, those are like my not always good for me but definitely love them I love flowers mm-hmm. um, and I love flowers when they're slightly in decay, <laughs> when, they're, when they're at that point of have lived and they're about to pass, that, I think that's one of my favorite things. I love raw food, um, you know, but I think flowers, I, if, I, if there was one subject, that would be it. And I love portraits, actually. I love mm-hmm. portraits of people. Wonderful. Which is funny because it when I if I post a portrait on my Instagram account, it doesn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't really perform well. Yes, yes. But I love that you keep sharing them though. So please, there's one actually that I have right in front of me. It's of your daughter. And I don't know, I think you're inside and she's outside and then the window is it's all um, you know, like um I wanna say foggy, it's covered. Mm. And oh, I love that photo. So please, please, please don't stop with your portraits. They're gorgeous. What is your most favorite thing to share? Is there a quote, a message? Is there a particular food that you always love to share? Anything that you, um, yeah, that's your most favorite thing to share? That everything will be okay. (laughs) I think um, because I've suffered from anxiety for all my life. And Mm -hmm. when I see it in other people, I just want to comfort them. And my grandmother always said that. Everything, she would always say, tomorrow's going to be another day. Yeah, and I think see, about that all the time. I say that to my son, actually. <laughs> I always say that. Yeah, it's true. When we go, when we feel, when we struggle, or um, that's kind of what I like to share. Like, everything's going to be okay. Great. And tomorrow will be another day. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared. I'm sure that everyone listening in has really enjoyed listening to you, your wisdom, your experience. Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. I am pretty obsessed with Anan and her work. So if you don't know her and are curious to find out more, please head to the show notes for a link to her blog as well as her incredibly gorgeous Instagram. I also have links to her first cookbook as well as her brand new one, which is coming out towards the end of September in North America and here in the UK. It comes out, I think, in October, but you can pre-order. I certainly have and just the glimpses of the book that I've seen. It looks just unbelievably gorgeous. So definitely, definitely worth pre-ordering if you're listening to this live in the moment if it's past september october 2019 it will be out so go and grab your copy we spoke about lots of photographers and lots of good stuff and so if you head to the show notes you can get links to all of the photographers and instagram accounts mentioned so do go and check that out i also mentioned the instagram food photography challenge which is now open for registration it's free it's fun it is a wonderful way to fine-tune your food photography and styling so please join us again just head to the show notes or dm me on instagram if you're not quite sure i usually have a high called IG challenge where you can find out more and have a swipe up option direct to the challenge details. 
If you'd like to participate in the challenge, but want to go a step further still, then remember there are still spots for my online food photography and food styling course, which kicks off this October, October 2019. And I would love to have you. All the things that Aran and I actually talked about, light and shadow, composition, storytelling, all those topics will be covered it is very very fun it's a great way to immerse yourself in the process of food photography and i would love to hear from you so remember to send me an email at kimberly at thelittleplantation.co.uk if you'd like to find out more this is the last bonus episode until october when season three of the podcast starts and if you want to be sure not to miss a single episode then subscribe to the podcast. There's a little button, especially if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, there's a little, I think it's a purple button that you can press to subscribe. But most other Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening have got the subscribe option. So please do subscribe. And um, that way you can be sure not to miss anything because season three is going to be absolutely amazing. Before I leave you, I wanted to say thank you so, so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I also wanted to let you know that this podcast was brought to you by my free creative community, the Eat, Capture, Share creative community on Facebook, formerly known as the Food Photo Insta creative community. And I'd love for you to join. I will pop the details on how you can join my creative community in the show notes, so do go and check it out. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, it means so much if you can rate, review, and subscribe. All those things will help the podcast to grow and to reach the right audience. And yeah, you'd kind of make my day. All right, see you soon. Take care.